Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. This morning, though, we want to go to the book of Acts, chapter number 16. Wednesday night, I gave you a a brief study as we had our mission emphasis on this past Wednesday. And I gave you a brief study out of the book of Philippians. And um, that got me leading into some study into the book of Acts about the church at Philippi. And that brings us to Acts chapter 16, uh, where we see Paul's uh, calling into Philippi and his dealings while he was there in Philippi. Now, if you're in the Sanctuary Sunday School class uh, this morning, Brother Tim Renner went to Acts chapter 16. I was about to call him down and say, you can't go any farther. Uh, You can go from 15 to 17, but stay out of 16. That's my passage this morning. Uh, but he, he only spent a handful of moments there in Acts chapter 16. Uh, he did emphasize a point that I will be making with us today. But you're probably familiar with Acts chapter 16. It may be one of the more familiar of the, of the chapters in Acts. Acts chapter 16, look at verse 30 and 31. Uh, I've chosen these because these are probably the, ones, the, the, the two verses that many of us are familiar with. It says, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. As I said, these are familiar and wonderful verses, and I want to consider not just these verses, but how we get to these verses. How we ended up at that point where a man would would proclaim and would ask that question so boldly, what must I do to be saved? And then the simple and correct answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I borrowed my title this morning from Charles Spurgeon and uh, I was studying this passage of scripture and Um, uh, Bill Card, who's been out taking care of his mom in Washington State. Uh, He's uh, moving her from her home into a uh, a care center and was cleaning out some of her bookshelves, sent me some books and sent me a couple of sermon books from Charles Spurgeon. And I was looking through that book and I saw he preached a message from this passage of scripture and he used this title that I'll use this morning, Belief, Baptism, and Blessing. Belief, Baptism, and Blessing. And another title we'll give that I'll make more sense of at the end of our message is Upon Every Remembrance of You. Upon Every Remembrance of You. Now, how do we get to these verses, verse 30 and 31? Let's go back to verse number 23 in this chapter. Verse number 23 and 24. It says, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, church, help me today. Who who has been cast into the inner prison? Who has been just beaten and, 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 and arrested and now thrown into prison? Who is it? Someone say it nice and loud. Paul and Silas, correct. Back in verse number 19, it says, And and when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace of the rulers. So here we have this account of Paul and Silas, his assistant, being thrown into prison. Now these verses, verse 23 and 24, bring up several thoughts about them. 
Notice, first of all, the words many stripes there in verse number 23. This would reference here that Paul and Silas uh, received some type of flogging or beating. It would have been by a whip of some sort or perhaps by rods, as Paul made mention in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Now, you've probably heard about the Jews had a limit of how often an individual could be beaten. They would only beat someone up to 39 uh, lashes. I think 40 was their law, and to be safe, they would go to 39. But that's not the case with the Romans. Uh, the Romans in their beatings, it was all based upon what the crime was and how much an individual could handle. And so this, this individual that held that whip or that held those rods in his hands would, would beat that individual and to the point where he felt like this was enough. And so sometimes that may only be 10 or 15 lashes, or there are times that it could have been 50 or 60 lashes. And the scripture tells us here that these men received many stripes. And so we're not told, but probably dozens of strokes were laid to their back and to their back of their legs as well. It then speaks here in these verses about the inner prison. This would refer to the most secure and secluded part of a prison. Perhaps we would compare it today to our modern terms of they were thrown into the hole. Uh, that, that place where uh, it was the most secure. Now in my years of ministry, I've been to several institutions, jails and prisons. Not because I was arrested, but I was there visiting someone. I won't ask today how many of you have been into these institutions. But if you have, whether visiting or you had to be there for other reasons, you probably had the same feeling I did. Didn't enjoy it, even as a visitor. I didn't like walking through a door, being led by an individual, and then hear that door not only shut behind me, but locked behind me. And waiting for another door to open to get me into that next section of this, of this place and, and leading into a place I've had to go visit several inmates through the years for various reasons. And I remember one time I was led into a, a, a state prison, into a, uh, a place of, uh, where there would be visitation, and it was just in an open room. There were other prisoners and other individuals visiting those prisoners in there. And, and I, boy, I was on edge. I just, I, didn't, I knew I didn't belong there. I wasn't, it wasn't a natural fit for me. And I remember they just led me in there and said, you can grab a seat anywhere you like. And I ended up grabbing a seat in the middle there. And they said it would probably be 15 or 20 minutes till the individual I was visiting could get to me. And I'm sitting there in the middle and I'm looking around and all these prisoners. And of course, my mind starts wondering these vivid imaginations of every one of them having a shank in their pocket or something. And, and I was like, I shouldn't be sitting here in the middle. And so I got up and I went and I sat against a wall and I wanted to see everything out there in front of me. And I, and I had these, these visions of this awful prison. And the reality is, though, I was in a very comfortable room and I was in a prison that was overall pretty comfortable for these prisoners. They got three square meals a day. 
this particular prison, perhaps not all of them were, but I asked that guy. It had air conditioning in that prison and, and climate controlled, all the quite comfortable. That would not compare to where Paul and Silas were at. They were in a Roman prison. They were in the worst part of that prison. They were placed there in a, in a prison that was not meant to be comforting at all, but to, bent, to be a punishment. So here they are, been beaten with many stripes. They've been cast into the inner prison. And then it talks about their feet being placed in stocks, fast in the stocks. Not only were they placed in the most secure part of the prison, they had their feet placed in stocks. This provided another level of security, but it also took their lack of comfort to another level. This would limit their ability to adjust body positions. They were most likely sitting on the ground or perhaps some bench of some sort and their feet are in these stocks and they're not able to move. And if you can imagine with me, they've just been beaten with this whip or with the rod several dozen times across their backs and their legs. There are bruises and lacerations throughout the back of their body. It would be difficult to find a place of comfort and now they can't move hardly at all. They can't twist too far. They can't move down. They can't lay down. They're bound by these stocks here. And no doubt it caused great agony. Now what has happened that has caused Paul and Silas to deserve this type of punishment? Now if we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to look at this this morning but it could be summarized with one word. They've gotten there because of obedience. They've gotten there because they followed the will of God. They've gotten there because they've trusted the Lord. Look back with me, if you will, to verse number 6. It says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, uh, Paul desired to go towards Asia. Now, as we learned in our Sunday school class, there will come a time when he does make it to Asia Minor. But at this point in time, the Holy Ghost said no. There's a closed door. It goes on to verse number 7, and they were come to Mysia. They essayed or desired to go into Bithynia. They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Uh, here they are in this in this inner prison, in stocks, after having been beaten. And we see, first of all, it's because God closed some doors. They attempted to go to two different areas, two different regions, and God said no. Now, church, let me encourage you today with this. It is often, um, we perhaps don't like to hear the word no in our lives generally, but to have God say no to you is a great blessing. Because God is often protecting us from things that are not good for us, are, would not benefit us, are not part of his will. And to hear God say no when we ask and we attempt some things is a good thing. I've been grateful for many closed doors in my life. When I've attempted or I've asked or I've wanted to, and God said, no, that's not for you, at least not right now, and he's closed the doors. Don't fight against those closed doors. Paul and Silas and the team here had the doors closed into these regions. But then we go to verse number 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the nights. 
there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. This would be Europe. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. And so we've gone from a closed door to an open door and an immediate response by Paul and the team. They immediately begin to make preparations knowing that this was the, the will of God. And so it's gone from a closed door to an open door to immediate obedience. And look what happens. Drop down to verse number 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. This obedience to God's will led them to this individual who had an open heart to the gospel. Now, up to this point here in verse number 15, we would say this is wonderful. Paul and Silas have sought God's will. God has closed some doors. God has opened some doors. They've been obedient, and we're seeing the results of the gospel. All of this is because of their obedience. But then we get to verse 16. It says, And it came to pass, we went to prayer, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Let's learn a little bit about this individual here. She's called a damsel. It's more than just referring to a female or to a woman or a lady. This damsel means that she was a female slave. She, was, she belonged to somebody else. She had been purchased. She's a female slave. And, and then it says that she was possessed with a spirit of divination. That word possessed means that she was controlled by a spirit of divination. Now that word divination comes from a Greek word pronounced puthon. P-U-T-H-O-N is how we would spell it phonetically. Puthon. But when you hear that word, think of the word python. Python. In fact, this word was originally used in Greek mythology of a serpent that would guard the oracle at the Delphi. And you may have remember and think you can see that in the mytho mythological drawings of the Greek culture. But in its later use, get this, the word was used to describe a ventriloquist or one having another voice. Anybody ever see a ventriloquist before? You know, they get the dumb. I remember when I was a kid growing up, we used to have an evangelist every two years. He would come to our church every other year. His name was Al Lacey. Anybody ever hear of an Al Lacey? Handful of us here. And remember, he had a, he had a dummy that he would bring with him, and his name was Clyde Hyde. And I, as a little boy, I get so excited. He, he lived in a suitcase, Clyde Hyde did. 
And, and he, I would bring that up there on the platform, and he would do a little skit with him before his message, and he'd open it up there, and, and, and he says, Hey, Clyde, how you doing? And, and all of a sudden, you'd hear Clyde's voice. Get me out of here! And he says, well, you gotta, you got to wait. Get me out of this thing. And they'd rank him out there, and he'd set him up on his arm. And as a little boy, I would sit there and think, wow, this is amazing. And Al Lacey would talk, and then Clyde would talk. And, of course, Al's lips never moved. He'd go, hey, how y'all doing? And he'd smile the whole time. And, and, and this, this dummy's mouth is moving. And as a little 10-year-old boy, I am eating this up, believing everything of it. I'm watching Al, and I'm watching uh, Clyde Hyde go back and forth at each other. He's speaking for this dummy, using this. And that's where this word puthan comes from, another voice. Now, get this. This woman, this female slave, has another voice in her. She is controlled by a spirit of divination or a demon that spoke through her. Now, this was no skit. This was no dummy act. She was possessed by a demonic spirit. And she was used in the actions here of a soothsayer, someone that would tell someone's fortune. Someone would go to her, give her some shillings, and they would, she would then, this spirit would speak through her. And so this individual has now been following Paul and Silas and the team around. And notice what she's been saying in verse number 17. She says, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. That's pretty good words, isn't it? But it grieved Paul. Why? Because it was the wrong vessel. This woman had a reputation. This woman had a testimony of a demonic force, of being involved in satanic practices, of soothsaying. By the way, uh, although many may believe that this is a false thing, and maybe many of those things around us are false, but to get involved in any of those things is playing around with demonic uh, influences. And to be involved in anything like that is unscriptural. And I'd encourage you to stay far, far away from it. And Paul was grieved that this woman that was involved in this is walking around. Although her message was right, it was coming from a, a, something that would hinder the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so after days of this, Paul finally looked at her and he commanded that spirit to depart from her. He cast that demon out of her. He performs a miracle right there. And this is a good thing, correct? We've had people saved now. We've had a miracle performed all because of obedience. But now here comes the problem. You know why it's a problem? Because of money. This, this, this was the breadwinning uh, of, of some men, her masters. Look at what it says in verse number 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone... They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And that leads us to where we've already read 
And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. So here they are. They've had this, this, this moment here or this experience with this woman casting this demon from her. And now we see how they've gotten there in verse 23 and 24 into prison. All of this is the result of obedience. Let me give you a principle here this morning. Living for God does not always mean that life is going to be easy, that there aren't going to be difficulties, that there couldn't be negative consequences. People have lost jobs because of being a Christian. People have lost relationships because of being a dedicated follower of the Lord. People have uh, had all kinds of things going. People have been arrested for that. People have been put to death for their faith. It has happened, it is happening, and it will continue to happen. God never promised us that we would have a life of ease and comfort by being a believer or a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, he told his disciples in John chapter 16 that in this world ye shall have tribulation. There's a whole section in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul lists out the difficulties that he endured by being a follower of of Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Silas find themselves in prison simply by following the will of God for their lives. Now, I wonder, an honest evaluation of yourself right now. If you were in Paul and Silas's place, you've been obedient, you said you, you listened to God when he closed the door, you listened to God when he opened the door, you've been preaching the gospel, you, you performed this great miracle, and now you found yourself beaten in stocks in the inner prison. I wonder what would your reaction be? How would you be responding at that time? I'm kind of embarrassed to think of what I would be doing. I know the kind of person I am. I'm a powder. <laughs> I'm a poochie lip guy. You know, uh, why me? I've just, I've just been obeying you, God. I've been listening to you. I've, I've preached the gospel and, and, and doing what you want me. And here I am in prison and I've been beaten and, and I can just see myself in this fashion. But what is the response of Paul and Silas? Verse 25. And at midnight... Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. What an amazing testimony this is. I believe it probably started off as a prayer meeting, as they were praying for God to guide them, direct them, help them at this point in time in their life, to give them direction and strength. And as that prayer meeting continues, it, it begins to inspire them of, of, a, of a familiar song or a hymn. And they begin to sing. Paul says, hey, Silas, you remember this song? And, and, he, and he starts to sing it, and Silas joins him. And, and that reminds Silas of a song, and he begins to sing a song of praise. And next thing you know, they're having a prayer and praise worship service at midnight in the inner part of the prison. They're in that inner part, and all around them, the prisoners are hearing this service going on. I imagine that's not a typical thing to hear in prison. I imagine they're not used to hearing guys singing and praising God in prison. But that's what they get here. And they're a 
wonderful testimony of, of, of the grace of God. Now, as they're doing this, uh, the earth then speaks out in verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison waking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Here's this prison keeper, this guard that's been given the task of guarding these prisoners. The incentive for a prison guard was this. You will live if your prisoners do not escape. You will die if your prisoners escape. That's the way they lived. That's the way they operated as a Roman soldier. That was their task. Hey, you can be the keeper of this prison. You can stay home at this point. You don't have to be out on the front lines fighting. But listen, here's the incentive. You can do this, but if they escape, you're dead. And so knowing that this great earthquake has taken place, that the bars, uh, the walls, the, the, the doors have come open, all these things, he's assuming that all of the prisoners have escaped and he's taken his sword, he's going to kill himself. And at that time, Paul cries out in verse 28, and Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Now when I read that, we are all here, I believe Paul's not just talking about him and Silas. He's talking about all the prisoners. What's a greater miracle, by the way, the earthquake or that all the prisoners stayed in their cells? I mean, they're always looking for an escape route, aren't they? They're always looking for an opportunity. But here they are. They stay in their cells. They're there. He called for a light in verse 29. He sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he asked that great question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, Paul and Silas, I have no doubt in my mind that the prisoners heard them, that the prison guards heard them as well. They've seen the way these men have responded and have reacted. They, 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 they've seen them praising their God, praying to their God. They've seen them now stay in there. All these things. And this causes a great conviction to come upon this man. Basically, I believe he's saying, what do I have to do to get what you have? What do I have to do to be like this? What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, church, could it be that God wants to use your story to touch somebody's life? And it could be that's why he allows some difficulties at times in our lives. It's an opportunity for you to respond correctly. It's an opportunity for you to say, God, I'm going to trust you. It's an opportunity to say, yeah, I'm going through some deep waters right now. I'm going through some great difficulties right now. But it's an opportunity for me to, to be a bright and shining light. Back when I, uh, we were first in the ministry, and um, we had had our, our first son and just had our second son. He was just a, a month old or so, uh, not very old at all. And uh, our second son and Silas and 
Rachel's brother and his wife had their second son just a little bit before Silas. His name was Logan. And it wasn't long that Logan was diagnosed with some type of hereditary disease as a little baby. And it wasn't long till the diagnosis was given that he probably wouldn't live till two years old. And in fact, he only lived to be about four months old. It was a disease where his muscles did not develop along with his body. He couldn't move his arms or his legs. And as his body grew, his muscles did not develop and, and his heart didn't work right. And his, he eventually just gave out. He was the sweetest little boy. He had one muscle that worked and it was the smiler muscle. His mom would come up and say, hi, Logan. And boy, that, those eyes would lighten up and his smile would come out. I never got to meet Logan in person. We were living in New Hampshire then and I didn't make a whole lot of money and it was difficult to get, to get away. And I, but I remember I sent Rachel back down there to spend some time with them. And, and uh, Rachel uh, got, would send me back pictures and and then they'd, we had the old camcorder. We didn't have phones that videoed then, but we had the big camcorders, and someone had made a video of him, and it got to me one day. And I remember just sitting there watching this hour-long video of this little boy and smiling and everything, but knowing he wasn't going to live. And he died when he was about four months old. And I was asked to preach his funeral. And I remember praying to God, God, what can I say to help this family, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, the, those that would be there, what can I do? And, and, and one of the things that the Lord led me to was the thought of how my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, that one day they'd be able to help somebody else. I didn't know what they were going through. I didn't know the kind of struggle they were facing. I'd never experienced anything like that. Now it's been now 20 plus years. You know what has happened with that family? My brother-in-law and sister They've been able to come alongside multiple couples now that have gone through similar circumstances just as that. They've been able to be a witness and a testimony. You know what we found out? Their testimony during that time in the hospital brought many nurses and doctors to that funeral service. And they said there was something different. I remember a nurse walked out of that service that day crying, a male nurse crying, and, and he grabbed hold of me and he says, you'll never know what a difference this little boy and this family made in my life. All because of allowing God to use their story, their circumstance. Listen, life's not always easy, but I will tell you this. There is a God of grace that gets us through the difficulties and the hard times of life. And when you're going through that, you can be the poochy lip, the powder, the, the complainer, why me? Or we can say, God, how do you want to use this? How, how can you use this? There's a, there's a whole church that is birthed out of this experience right here. And it started with obedience, trusting God. And it led to the belief of a Philippian jailer, his household being saved and baptized with him. And it leads to him being a blessing. Look down with me a little bit farther in that passage. Uh, let's see here. Verse 33, and he took them, this is the jailer, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. 
says, and was baptized, he and all his strength. I mean, they had a regular church service there that night. They were saved, they were singing, praising, there was a man saved, and a family baptized. He goes on in verse number 34, and when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. This, this hardened Roman soldier that is now a prison guard, may have been the one that beat them, is now the one washing and mending their wounds and feeding them in his house. Oh, when there's a true conversion, there's a true change, isn't there? When there's a true belief, there's a change in behavior. And we see this man responding in this fashion. This man believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, baptism is not part of salvation here. It's in response to one's salvation, just like it is today. Baptism doesn't save anybody, but it's the willful obedience of a person that's received Christ as their Savior so they can have a public testimony of what Christ did in their hearts. He believed, he was baptized, and he became a blessing. I gave you a second thought today of upon every remembrance of you. If you would look at the book of Philippians really close or really quickly here. Philippians chapter number one. We'll close with this thought. Years later now, Paul is writing a letter or an epistle to the church at Philippi. It's our book of the Philippians. It's the same people that we've just uh, Saul here uh, in chapter number 16 of Acts. Notice what it says in verse number 1 of chapter 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now get verse number 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Think of Paul as he's pinning those words or as he's um, uh, dictating those words to somebody to write them out there of what went through his mind as he remembers the church at Philippi. Does he remember that it started with a closed door that led to an open door, that led to obedience, that led to open hearts, that led to a miracle of uh, casting this demon out, which led to their beating, their arrest, they're in the stocks, which led to a response of praising and glorifying God, which led to the earthquake, which led to a man saying, what must I do to be saved, which led to this church. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. How different that could have been if Paul would have at the very beginning said, no, we're going to Asia. I'm going to, I'm, I don't care, I'm, it's where we're going to go. And we miss this whole section on the church at Philippi. That whole section of a man saying, what must I do to be saved? All from obedience. So church, trust God. God's leading you through some things. Trust Him. Obey Him. It doesn't mean that everything's always going to go smooth with God. God, God. But God promises you this. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll walk those journeys with you and trust Him through those times. 
And there'll come a day you can look back and think, boy, I remember that time. And I remember God's faithfulness, God's goodness. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today. Perhaps God's been challenging you in some areas, been leading, directing you. He's been opening, he's been closing some doors. Will you obey him? Will you listen to him? Will you trust him? Perhaps God is allowing you to go through some deep waters right now, some difficulties, some storms, some trials. How are you going to respond? Could it be that God's using your trial, your storm to work in somebody else's life? And are you ready? Are you responding correctly? Perhaps you're here today and that question, what must I do to be saved, is a question you need to ask and you need to respond to this answer. Put your faith, your belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Trust what Jesus has done for you. Believe on him today and trust him for salvation. Perhaps you need to go beyond your salvation today and it's time for you to be baptized. You've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. You've not been obedient to the Lord thus far in that fashion. Then be baptized. It's time for you to be a blessing and serve. Father, I pray today that you touch hearts. Lord, you know the need of each heart in here. And Lord, I could never... I could never touch those needs like those hearts like you can. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in lives today. And I pray for obedience during this invitation, whether that's coming to the, to the altar today or perhaps that's just there at their pew, someone bowing their heart before you and being obedient. So take this invitation, use it for your honor and your glory in Jesus' name. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, would you stand with me today? And as the piano begins to play, the Lord spoke to your heart. The altar's available. There at your pew. You be obedient to the Lord today.